Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, May 17th, 2020, and this is show number 784, and it's also the 15-year anniversary of the NoSillaCast. That's 784 NoSillaCast episodes, 638 chit-chats across various ponds, including 37 terminals tamed, and 96 programmings by stealth, since I first picked up a microphone 15 years ago this week. That's a lot of writing and talking, I'm not going to lie. Well, I'm going to be playing all of the wonderful recordings people have sent in, and then we'll have a session of Security Bits with Bart after that. This week, Chit Chat Across the Pond is another programming by Stealth, and it's a solution show all about the clock assignment from programming by Stealth number 92. Now, Bart's been really busy this week designing an entirely new uh, distance learning final exam system for the university where he works. So he asked if I would take on half of the content by presenting my solution to the clock challenge. I've had an absolute blast on this assignment to create a, a world clock, so I gladly accepted. In this uh, episode, I walk through my approach and some of the challenges I met along the way, and then Bart compliments mine by talking about a few things he did quite differently. We both had a great time, and I think Bart actually learned something from me at one point. You can, of course, find uh, Bart's fabulous show notes over at pbs.bartificer.net. Link in the show notes. Before I play all of the wonderful listener contributions, I want to take just a moment to share a bit myself on this 15-year anniversary. You know, I've thought a lot about what to say about the show and what it means to me, but it's really hard. It's hard because I can either go through every single little detail like, hey, remember when I got rid of the stock teal theme on the website and I changed to the new one? Or who can forget when I changed web hosts? That was fun, right? Or I can simply say, wow, that whole time, that was fun. <laughs> it, was, it was hard, so I decided to just talk about two things that had the biggest impact on me over the last 15 years. I think the single biggest change in 15 years was when we started doing the live show. Even though 98% of you have never come to a live show, its existence has affected you. Because of the live show, I started to get real-time feedback as I was doing the recordings. Instead of me speaking alone into a mic, I had an audience. I knew you were always out there, but with the live show, it feels like an audience. My, my stories are more interesting, my enthusiasm is more pronounced, and my angst about bad products or services is perhaps more theatrical. But the main thing is that it's a hundred times more fun to do the show because of the weirdos who do show up. I'm looking at you, Frank. Anyway, sometimes I take it for granted, and then for some technical or scheduling problem, I have to do the show on my own, and I realize how lonely it used to be. The other big effect that I love about the live show is that it really brought Steve more into the show. Or should I call him Husband Steve? I thought he was just going to take over the heavy lifting of the show's production, and I never realized that so many people would become his lifelong friends as well. He's the love of my life, and for you to appreciate him makes it all the more better. So, if you don't go to the live show, know that the recorded show is better because of it. The second thing is, I know that the show today would not be what it is today without Bart Bouchotts. It's not just that we wouldn't be as safe in our computing lives and so well-educated in security. It's not just that he took a budding desire of mine to learn to program and turned me and many others into full-fledged programmers. It's not that he put in thousands of hours writing documentation for us in both fields. It's that this man, whom I've only met once in my life, became one of my very dearest friends. 
We chat constantly in text messages. Uh, we get together well before recording. We talk about everything from exercise to the latest episode of Deep Space Nine to our family and to our work. People in Meet Space have tried to convince me that online relationships aren't real. And to that, I say fooey. My life is richer because of Bart's contributions to you. When Steve and I asked for audio clips about how you felt about the show, we had no idea how many we would get and how they would warm our hearts with the kind messages and make us laugh with the snarky comments. You're going to hear a lot about never missing a show in 15 years. And because honesty and specificity in this matters to me, I need to slightly correct that. The first show was on May 13th, 2005. I did four shows and I stopped for exactly four weeks. And then I started up again on July 5th, 2005, after someone who goes by the name of Jumbo Shrimp said, hey, where's the podcast? From that date, I haven't missed a show. But we won't quibble about that from here on out. It's time to hear from you. And where else to start but with the head weirdo, Frank Petrie. Congratulations, Allison, on the Nazillacast's 15th anniversary. What attracts me most to the podcast is that you're informative, entertaining, and well over four foot. Yeah, so I don't always understand what Frank's talking about, but he's a swell guy. Hello, this is Dorothy, also known as Mac Lurker. I wanted to say congratulations to Allison and Steve for reaching a great milestone. Thanks to you, we've enjoyed 15 years of Apple Tech Talk without interruption. That is quite the achievement. Not only the podcast, but creating the Nasillacast community and including just about anyone, including those Android guys. Thank you, Allison and Steve, for creating and preserving this special community. I would certainly be a smaller person without it. Congratulations on maintaining the same high standards for 15 years. Keep it up. I can't get enough. Well, I love that from Dorothy because uh, she knows how easily my head gets swole up. So if she took the risk of making me feel good, she must have really meant it. Hi there. This is Professor Terry Austin, and I'd like to take just a few moments to acknowledge the 15-year anniversary of Podfeet. In keeping with a fine tradition, let's start with a problem to be solved. The problem. Back in 2008, there's this Windows Power user who's absolutely sick of Windows and needs some guidance getting used to his new Mac. So I started a hard target search looking for podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Of course, I found Allison along with a few other podcasters who were there to help me get quickly up to speed on my new platform. I'm a science professor whose classroom has always been tech heavy. On a website where students can rate their professors, one student commented way back in 2004 that, quote, this guy's got enough technology to run the Mars rover from his classroom. So, my desire to get up to speed on the Mac as soon as possible was paramount. Allison truly did shine a guiding light on my path of discovery. I pretty quickly found an internet home among the castaways. In 2013, I was fortunate enough to attend the castaway party at Macworld where I got to meet Allison and Steve in person. You'd have thought that they were welcoming a long-lost friend, and, for all intents and purposes, they were. Over the years, I've contributed more reviews and commentaries than I can count. I've gotten to be a guest a couple of times on Chit Chat. Heck, I even got the true pleasure of designing that by now familiar Chit Chat logo. 
Over the years, both Allison and the intrepid Steve have shown their dedication to this wacky band of geeks. So, as we reach this auspicious benchmark of 15 years of enlightening us and entertaining us without missing a single week, I've got to say, thank you for the ride. I came into this back in 2008 when Allison and Steve had Podfeet well underway. I've traveled with you for being a novice to being the Mac Uber geek that my colleagues, friends, and family seek out when they need help. I would not be in this position without having had your help along the way. So let's turn back to our original problem to be solved. Back in 2008, I was a new Mac user, leaving as Windows Power user status to venture forth into a brave new world with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. I was looking for guidance, and along with that I found friendship. I'm going to call this problem solved, and I'm going to thank Allison for her guidance along this path. It's been a blast, and I look forward to all the years to come with Allison, Steve, and all of the castaways. I like how Terry described uh, everything that he has learned from me and the rest of you on the show, because... I when I hear that, all I can think of is the people I learn from. So knowing that people like Terry pass along their knowledge, his, their knowledge to their friends, it makes me happy to be part of this big chain of happiness. I also want to point out that Terry made not just the chit chat across the pond logo. He also drew the little feet that are on my signature. If you've ever written to me, you would have seen those. Hi, Allison and Steve. This is Barry from Chicago. I wanted to pass along my huge thanks and appreciation for everything you've done and created in the last 15 years. It's always a pleasure listening to your show, from the interviews to the bi-weekly security updates with Bart. We often talk about community. You two are truly the foundation that makes it so wonderful. Your spirit, thoughtfulness, and charm are amazing. Cheers to both of you. Well, Barry has done more than anyone I know to help keep the Apple community alive and thriving. So thank you for that, Barry. Next up, let's hear from Trevor Drover from Australia. Congratulations, Alison, for your dedication to the ever so slightly Apple biased community. 15 years of continual podcasts is a great achievement. I first discovered an exciting and enthusiastic Allison doing guest spots on the late Tim Verporton's Mac Review cast. That was more than 10 years ago. Those short sessions were not enough, so I subscribed to the Nocilla casts and have been a faithful listener and occasional contributor since. When Allison came to Australia for a Mac Mania cruise in November 2012, I could not pass up the opportunity to drive to Sydney for the night to meet Allison and Steve in person. I was also fortunate enough to spend the evening with Rose Matthews, Doug Ingram, Alistair Jenks, Stephen Summer, Don McAllister and G. MacDonald. All fantastic people, naturally, as we were all part of Alison's extended family. Thank you, Alison, for all that you do for us. Well, thank you so much for mentioning Tim Verporten, Trevor. I sure owe a lot to him for not just giving me the voice to a bigger audience, but as a friend that we were lucky to know. Now, Trevor left out one bit of his story of meeting us in Australia. After the big meetup where we met, there was a knock at our hotel room door. It was Trevor bringing us a fabulous bottle of red wine. How could we not become friends for life? The next recording is from Ed Tobias. It just occurred to me that I've been listening to your show for almost a quarter of my life. And I'm older than you are, so that means you've been doing it longer than that, percentage-wise. 
When I first started listening to your podcast almost 15 years ago, I thought your voice sounded familiar. And then your name sounded familiar. And then you mentioned your husband Steve, and that just clinched it. I know her. I used to work with her and her husband Steve back in the 80s. It certainly is a very small world. Since that time, we've been getting together for coffee and trading coding stories and rekindling our friendship. But all that aside, even if we never knew each other, I would have listened to your podcast because it is one of the best ones out there. I would say it is the best, but then you'd get a big head and we couldn't have that. Your content is interesting, especially with a not-so-slight Apple bias. And you and Bart have taught me so much over the years that I feel I've earned another college degree. I want to congratulate you and Steve for such a tremendous achievement, and thank you for all that you do. I look forward to the next 15 years and to our next cup of coffee, and I will certainly stay subscribed. Well, I love this recording because I actually had no idea that Ed had listened long before he realized that he knew me. We do sure have a lot of fun talking programming, all because of Bart. And you're right, it is like getting another college degree when you listen to Bart. Well, here's Joe Duganzik with his story of becoming a castaway. Well, hey, Allison and Steve. Uh, before I launch into my uh, little story here that has to be less than 99 and 6 13th seconds, congratulations on 15 years of Nasillacast and Potfeet. It's, that's certainly something. Uh, I'll admit that I didn't know Allison and Steve at all, really. Um, I'd, seen Al- I'd seen Allison on the Twit Network, I think on MacBreak Weekly, and then happened to run into her, maybe it was fate, who knows, at CES 2017 at the Elgato uh, smart home booth. And I was like, I've got to go say hi to her. I, I recognize her her face, but I didn't remember her name. So anyways, 30 seconds of conversation, exchanged business cards, and then I started making some uh, appearances and started to make some content for Nasillacast and Potfeed. And I think it was uh, Chit Chat Across the Pond. And uh, Allison has uh, graciously appeared on uh, the show that I used to run, Smarter Home Life. And it's blossomed into one of those friendships that, uh, you know, I don't know, Allison and Steve, they're just great people. And you feel like after a few minutes, you seem to have known them for many, many years when it's just been a short while. Anyways, the, the digital things that I've done in, in the media world have only lasted about five years or so. And so 15 years, that's an accomplishment. I mean, that's a huge commitment of time. Uh, Allison, you've somehow convinced Steve to help you, uh, I think, throughout the entire process. And that's a huge commitment of his time, too. And you guys work well together, obviously. Is this 99 seconds? Maybe I'm a little bit over. Anyways, cheers to you guys and to 15 years of Nasillacast and Potfeet. And here's to 15 more. Well, I like this a lot. And I'm, I'm surprised that Joe didn't mention something here. Uh, you never know the consequences of what happens in a podcast and then what happens in real life. Him running into us in the Elgato booth at CES ended up with him getting tricked into going horseback riding with us in Arizona. Hello, Steve, Allison, and the rest of the New Silver Castaways. It's Kevin here, a.k.a. Steve's wingman and big in Virginia to a lot of people. I just wanted to record a huge congratulations to Allison for reaching such a colossal milestone with the podcast. Fifteen years is an amazing milestone for almost anything, especially in podcasting. 
I am so lucky to have found this wonderful show and being able to listen to it every week and all the great work Allison puts into it. The product reviews and recommendations have helped me so much, not to mention cost me a few dollars along the way, gladly and happily spent based on the wonderful information I received. Also, when talking about the podcast, we can't forget the supporting cast, like Bart with his amazing contributions to the show related to security and programming work. Well done, Bart. And of course, certainly I can't forget my wingman, Steve. The real driving force behind the show is only he and I know. I have to protect him and deflect the spears and arrows that Allison hurls at him during the show in the chat room. Ah, yes, the chat room. I've made so many amazing friends there that should I try to mention them all, it would take up an entire episode of the show itself. So a big thank you to all my friends there, and I really do truly appreciate each and every one of you. Well, I guess that's it. Just remember, as always, if you need excellent product reviews and interesting takes on what's happening in the technology world, be sure to listen to the NoSillaCast. And again, Allison and Steve, a huge congratulations, my friends, and thank you for allowing me to be a very small part of this amazing podcast for more years than I can count now. Now, I, I could make a snarky crack about the fact that Kevin can't count to 15, but I won't because I'm being nice tonight. Anyway, Kevin himself is one of the driving forces of the live chat room and one of the reasons we feel so strongly about the community there. He does give me a hard time, but even I have to admit that Steve needs protecting from time to time. But let's hear the other side of that story. Hello, I'm Sandy, and I'm a Nocilla castaway. I'm wishing Allison and Steve huge congratulations on the 15th anniversary of the NocillaCast podcast. I can't really remember when I began listening to the NocillaCast, but I think that it was around the time when I bought my first iPhone, which was in the summer of 2010. One of the things I heard and that made me think that I was destined to enjoy the podcast was that Allison and Steve share a birthday both with each other and with my own daughter, whose name just happens to be Allison, too. Somehow that little bit of trivia caught my attention, and I kept listening and enjoying what I was hearing. Several years later, I finally gathered my courage and joined the Nocilla Castaways in the live chat room during the recording of the podcast, and I immediately felt so welcomed that I've gone back each week, despite the fact that I'm not as knowledgeable in tech as many of the group. One of my main jobs in the chat room is to keep Kevin in line so he doesn't make fun of Allison, or not too much fun, at least. My most memorable moment was making an audio review for the show, during which there was some sort of glitch resulting in a loud honking noise. Yikes. Someday I hope to live that one down. In the meantime, congratulations again on a wonderful podcast and 15 years of it. Thank you. Now you can see why Steve has his wingman Kevin, but I needed Sandy to take on the important role of wingwoman. In all seriousness, it was such a great delight for Steve and me to get to meet Sandy when we went to CES. I don't know if you realize this, but Sandy also often proofreads my blog posts. For some reason, I can see typos in anyone else's written text a mile away, but in my own writing, all mistakes are invisible. So you have Sandy to thank for the improved quality of the blog posts for the last few years. Hi, Allison. 
Andrew Darlow here from the great state of New Jersey and just wanted to send you and Steve a big 15-year congratulations for all that you've done on the Nozilla cast plus your amazing interviews that you do at CES and so much more. And thank you to all the castaways who provide fantastic tips. I'm going to have at least one for you very soon. So here's to another 15 years and more. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Andrew. I cannot wait to hear your tip. All right. Next, we have a little missive from Tom Merritt. Allison likes to tell the story of how we first met at a podcast conference when she mistook me for someone else. And I gave her a dirty look because I didn't understand what she was saying. But I prefer to think of our acquaintanceship and subsequent friendship beginning in 2009 when Allison first sent me a useful tip because I think that's what characterizes Allison. It was October 29th, 2009 when I published the results of that tip. You see, the thing that I was trying to solve was being able to plug in my Verizon MiFi, one of those little things that you carry around and you can share your Wi-Fi, your, your data connection with other people. At the time, if you used the USB cable that came with the MiFi and plugged it into your laptop to charge, it would see it as a modem and then you couldn't share the Wi-Fi anymore. In fact, I was trying to solve a particular problem caused by that in the CNET video that I shot in October 2009. Here it is. I ran into this issue at an airport when I wanted to charge the MiFi and share it with my colleague, but I couldn't find an extra electrical outlet. Thanks to Allison Sheridan at the Nozilla Cast podcast for the solution. That would be the Nozilla Cast podcast and Allison Sheridan. Hey, I finally learned how to pronounce it. Uh, it only took from 2009 to 2020. Uh, but yeah, that tip has turned into something useful for me over the years. It introduced me to that idea of the cable that didn't carry data, and that is a valuable thing to have with you if you're plugging into unknown USB ports and need to charge a phone, but you don't want to risk getting hacked. So thank you, Allison, for that. Thank you for 15 years of Nocilicast and Podfeet, and congratulations. Aw, thanks, Tom. Well, the thing I admire the most about Tom is how he always gives people credit for their contributions and how he can recall their names even years later. I clearly remember my absolute delight when he not only used my tip, but gave me credit by name and showed my website. That's when I realized the power of pu publicly giving people credit. Now, if he could just teach me how to remember people's names, that would be awesome. Hey, Allison, this is Rod Simmons with the SMR Podcast. Wanted to say congratulations to you, on your crystal anniversary, 15 years recording the No Silicast podcast. If I'm correct, I started listening to you back around the time that Tiger came out, um, because that's when they went to the Intel platform. And um, I've been listening to you all, way, all the way through Tiger, Leopard, Snow Leopard, Lion, Mountain Lion, Maverick, Yosemite, El Capitan, Sierra, High Sierra, Mojave, and Catalina. And I'm hoping I got that order right because this is a Mac podcast. So if I miss something, I feel like a jerk. Congratulations again uh, and keep up the good work. I had no idea Rod had been listening that long. And I have to say, I have no idea whether he got the uh, the tigers and, and lions and all that in the right order. Sounded right to me. You know, Rod and his buddies, Chris and Rob from the SMR podcast, being our friends is yet another example of how our life has gotten so much larger because of the podcast. Okay, let's listen to Norbert Frasa next. 
First of all, a big, huge, bombastic congratulations to Allison and Steve for celebrating 15 years of the Nisilla cast. That's a major accomplishment, and I'm so happy for you both. Well, you asked for listeners to tell you how they came to the podcast. I know I've already shared the story with you, but I thought the rest of the castaways would like to hear it too. The story actually begins when Tom Merritt transitioned his podcast, Tech News Today, to his current show, Daily Tech News Show. Tom uses a subreddit form where listeners are able to submit stories they found interesting for the show. Well, one of the most prolific posters was a listener by the name of S.P. Sheridan. After a few shows, there was another podcaster as a guest on Tom's show by the name of Allison Sheridan. I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if Allison knows who this S.P. Sheridan is. Well, I enjoyed how she covered the news in an entertaining way, so I added the Nasillacast to my podcast app, and the rest is history. Well, lo and behold, after listening to the Nasillacast for a few episodes, I was finally able to deduce the connection. The Nasillacast has actually been a gateway to other fantastic things. Through the show, I have been introduced to the awesomeness that is Bart, other castaways that I've met in person throughout the years and online, and even Allison's arch nemesis, Chuck Joyner. I have to admit that I've been an extra super lucky castaway to have been able to spend some quality time with Steve and Allison during a couple of Max Docs and CESs through the years. I can truly say that they are both class acts, and in addition to taking talking tech when they are with you, they also try to get to know you as a person, and I really appreciate that. So back to the point at hand. A big, hearty congratulations to Allison and Steve on your accomplishment. I'm so happy to be in your tech circle. I look forward to the next 15 years of the show, at which point it'll probably be transmitted via hologram, I'm sure. Again, congratulations. Well, I'm so glad that Norbert told the story again, because I had totally forgotten about that. Now, there's another funny tidbit about the story of Tom and the subredditor in question. Tom had been pronouncing his name Esperidon and had not made the connection that it was S-P or Esperidon, something like that. Anyway, that's why you couldn't tell that it was a connection to me. Tom had a really good laugh when he made the connection. You know what? Norbert is what Steve simply calls good people, even if he is friends with Chuck. Hi, Allison. It's uh, Dave Ginsberg here. Um, just wanted to wish you a wonderful 15th anniversary of your podcast. That is just, just an awesome milestone. And I wish I had been er- er- listening earlier at the time we started, but uh, I did catch up towards the end there and uh, really enjoy uh, listening to all the shows you do and all the contributions you give uh, to the community. It was great that when I first met you at MaxDoc uh, back up, uh, Gosh, 2015, and uh, you welcomed me in open arms as long as you and Chuck uh, and got me under the podcast fold and gave me the podcast itch on my podcast, and, and I really appreciate you being on my show as well. Uh, but uh, I look forward to more continued success with your podcast and uh, all the great content you provide and, uh, and best wishes for many, many years to come. Thanks. You know, Dave mentions MacStock, and when things really get back on the rails, I hope you'll take Dave's story as a testimonial about why you should go. The only bad part, as Dave mentions, is, of course, meeting Chuck Joyner, but, you know, they can't all be winners, right? Speaking of MacStock, I love Jason Harris's story. I met Allison at my first MacStock in 2018. I don't remember what one of her podcasts I was listening to before meeting her, 
What I do remember and will cherish forever is that she and Steve sat down at my table at Maxstock when they noticed I was sitting by myself for one of the meals there. I listen to all of Allison's podcasts now, except programming by stealth. Maybe one of these days I will decide to program and start listening to that one. I do appreciate both Allison and Steve. I love you guys. All right. We'll say Maxstock, right? It's awesome. When it's back, you need to be there. You know, Jason wouldn't lie to you. Well, next up, we're going to hear from Klaus Wolf from Germany. Dear Allison and Steve, congratulations on 15 years of NosillaCast podcast. I don't quite remember when I first started listening to you, but it must have been sometime in 2005. I had just acquired my first Mac and fell in love with the machine and the community. While many podcasts have been added and deleted from my playlist since, your podcast has stayed there all along. It regularly moves to the top of the list when there are more podcast episodes than time. I mustn't forget to thank Bart, who is a key part to the podcast's success. I cannot begin to count all the things I learned from you all. You have not just created a wonderful podcast, but an amazing community. The pleasure and satisfaction your podcast gives to me, and certainly everyone who listens, cannot be expressed in words. I count myself lucky since I have had the pleasure to meet you twice. In 2015, we hiked up to the Hollywood sign, and last year we met in Santa Monica. That too makes you special, because it is clear that you live for your community. Thank you so much for all you do, and I look forward to many more years of listening to your podcast. Danke für den Podcast. I love that, having his whole family say thank you for the podcast, in German, of course. I do have a funny story about Klaus. You know, the first time he came to the U.S., he asked us if we'd like to go hiking with him, specifically, as he mentions, to see the Hollywood sign. The reason that's funny is that Steve and I had both lived here for around 45 years. We had never hiked the Hollywood sign. Years later, Pat's cousins were visiting from France, so what could we do? We took them hiking to see the Hollywood sign. When Marianne was here, we took her to see it too, though not through hiking. So our thing now is you for you come here from a foreign country and only from a foreign country, we will make you hike the Hollywood sign with us. Next up, let's hear from Michael Westbay, who lives in Japan. Hi, Allison, Steve, and Nozilla Castaways from around the world. I'm probably the newest cast member, but I had heard Allison on DTNS often over the past few years. A question about Catalina from my daughter prompted me to finally take a look at podfeet.com. I had heard that everything good begins there. Anyway, I sent a link to my daughter for the Go64 will help you triage 32-bit apps. That was a very handy review, and having gone over it on DTNS recently, had it in mind. I now had a new subscription in my podcatcher. Other than Allison's wonderful way of describing the world, two people stood out. Bart and Kaylee. I was just getting into JavaScript programming again, via Node.js, and Bart explained a lot of the new notations I had been observing wonderfully. It actually made me excited about diving into JavaScript again. Then Allison's interactions with Kaylee had me doing a double take with what I thought I was hearing. Did she just slip some Japanese words into that sentence? Oh, Kaylee was delightful to listen to. I then listened to her entire Zetai Geek Dayo lineup over December and January. 
I keep trying to get John Gibson on the Japan Baseball Weekly podcast to throw in some Japanese words every now and then, but he has a very strict policy against it. Maybe if he listens to Kaylee a bit. Well, I may be new to the community, but I'm really enjoying it on Discord and Slack. Community is important, be it online or in real life. While I've only been participating for a couple of months, I look forward to many more anniversaries. Congratulations and take care. Oh, I love that, Michael. You know, it's so interesting to me how many people, like Michael says, just fit right into the community immediately. You know, that's exactly what Sandy said she felt like, like everybody was already her friends when when she got there and that they feel like home right away because people are so nice here. Yeah, okay, and I definitely want to wish Allison a happy podcasting anniversary. Five whole years of the Nocillacast, huh? What an incredible, what? What do you mean carry the one? No, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, podcasting hasn't even been around that long. Didn't Spotify invent it? And besides, it's named after the AirPods, right? What do you mean go watch those people dancing with the white headphones again? I don't know. Anyway, congratulations on six whole years of podcasting. See, I carried the one just like you asked. I look forward to someday being in the same time zone as you. We'll ride around on our electric bicycles and chat about JavaScript, phone plans, Apple products, and all kinds of fun stuff, all at a reasonable time of day. After all, if there's one thing I know about you, it's that you're definitely a geek. Omedito! And until next time, bye-bye! Only you, Kaylee. Only you. All right, Shelly Brisbane is up next. Well, well, well. 15 years of no silicast. There's a whole lot of podcasts. A lot of dumb questions answered. A lot of stealthy programming. A lot of terminals tamed. A lot of videos from trade show floors and a lot of problems solved. So I want to share how asking a very important question that I first heard on NoSilicast helped me with a real world work situation. I was in a meeting last week, virtual, of course, and there were six or seven little faces on my computer screen, several of whom belong to people higher up in an organizational food chain than am I. And all of them were having brilliant ideas. Little suggestions for how a project I'm working on could be better. So instead of getting defensive about them micromanaging my life, I decided to take a deep breath and ask a simple question. What's the problem to be solved? You know what? It stopped them cold. They didn't know what to say. And when they recovered themselves, they understood what I was asking. Oh yeah, they seemed to say. We're not really solving a problem. We're just throwing stuff at the wall. Well, I like to think I got out of that situation and back to doing what I do because I asked that famous question that I learned from NoSilicast. This is Shelley Brisbane from Parallel and a whole bunch of other podcasts saying congratulations, Allison, Steve, and all the NoSilicastaways. It's been a great 15 years. Well, it's so funny how useful that little phrase is. Shelly reminds me of a time I was on the board of a huge user group and I wasn't contributing. I really wasn't doing anything at all. I told the other board members they should get someone with more time to help out. Instead of letting me bail, they said they wanted me to stay because I seemed to have the knack of saying, what problem are we trying to solve at just the right time? Take Shelly's advice and use that phrase wisely. 
Well, up next, I suspect you'll recognize the dulcet tones of Alistair Jenks. It's Alistair Jenks here from New Zealand, offering my thoughts on the occasion of Alison's 15th anniversary of podcasting. For me, it has been about 11 and a half years of listening since October 2008. I thought for a long time about what I would like to say on this occasion. I thought about the countless times my interest has been piqued by something on one of the podcasts. I thought about how much fun it has been contributing my own work to the podcasts. I thought about the privilege of being trusted to produce the podcast on a few occasions. I thought about the incredible resource of the Podfeet website and associated social hangouts. I thought about our one-on-one conversations on Telegram about weird and wonderful topics from programming minutiae to hating on Apple support. But none of that will do to mark this occasion. The one thought I would like to express right now is that it was Alison who was responsible for my acceptance of the word friend for someone you've never actually met. I have been lucky enough to meet with Alison and Steve on two occasions, so technically they fall outside this definition, but I think in spirit it still applies. So thank you Alison and Steve for your friendship. Oh, and I suppose congratulations are also in order for getting at least one audio production out onto the internet every week for 15 years. I love what Alistair says about friends who have never met, and it's exactly what I was trying to express about my friendship with Bart. I socialize in real life with fewer than a dozen people on a regular basis, but I have far more friends I talk to at least weekly because of the podcast. My life is richer for having Alistair to bounce ideas across, to get advice, or just share a laugh. Hi, fellow castaways. Mike Price from Attleboro, Massachusetts here. I wanted to chime in and offer Allison and Steve a great big congratulations on such a momentous accomplishment, and also to say thank you for all you do. I have not been here the whole time. I can't remember exactly how and when I found the Nisilacast, but it was back in the days when there was only one show per week, and the show had an ever-so-slight Macintosh bias. I have always found the wide array of topics covered and Allison's interviewing skills to be both entertaining and informative. Because of this show, I have set up my own VPN server, toyed with creating my own SVIME certs using the now ostracized Start.com, purchased a few items based on various CES interviews, and been tempted by many, many more, found other podcasts to follow, for example, Mac Power users, and I have decided to learn JavaScript and soon PHP. And if the show's productions weren't enough, the community they have built and fostered both on Slack and the live show is amazing. This community is a collection of the nicest folks I think I have ever had the pleasure to come across. And that can only be a reflection of the kind of people who Allison and Steve are. So thank you and congratulations. Wishing you all the best in the next 15 years. You know, after listening to Mike's wonderful recording, I immediately shot off a note to Donald Burr telling him that his chit-chat, where he taught us how to create our own VPN server, was mentioned, and he was thrilled. You know, that was seven years ago. I also thank you, Mike, for saying that the kindness of the community is a reflection of Steve and me. I like to think that you're right, because I know another podcaster who doesn't always put his kindest face forward, and he ends up with positively vicious comments and forms as a result, or I think that's a result. Now, I have to say, I'm not always the kindest person around, but I do try to always reflect positivity in the podcast, and it has paid off a thousandfold in the kindness of the community. 
I'm so glad that you popped your head up to start joining in in the live show. It's really been fun having you there. Hi, I'm Dean Elger. My wife, Suzanne, and I met Steve and Allison in 2003 when we crashed their romantic dinner reservations at a French restaurant in Sedona, Arizona, when they were celebrating their 20th wedding anniversary, a story which was, of course, shared in an earlier episode. For any of you castaways that have had the pleasure of meeting the Sheridans face-to-face, you won't be surprised to know that was the beginning of one of our most important relationships. I used to like it when our young kids asked just exactly how are we related to the Sheridans. When Allison, two years later, picked up a new hobby of podcasting, I had no idea how big it would become. I can remember my awkward attempts at trying to explain to others what a podcast was, usually describing it as a radio show that was available once a week, and then trying to defend the concept and touting its benefits. Over the years, I've witnessed the show's evolution from a digital recording using very little tech to what is now a sophisticated production, culminating in a live show where you get to see how they make the sausage, so to speak. Over the years, Allison has aided me in keeping my ego in check by describing my foibles in a very public forum of which I never take offense. She has bragged of trying to bankrupt me by selling me on the latest and coolest gadgets, everything Apple makes, and at least two cars. We discussed the stupidity of me leaving my iPhone on a plane, and then how I managed to save my business trip with my watch, And some of the castaways will remember my very public sharing of my one password master password on the live show. And, of course, the subsequent episode where Allison explained how we protected all of my information after the fact. And here we are 15 years later. I've been introduced to the Chicago gang. Bart has taught me things I never considered about photography and security. Numerous castaways have shared review of products. I've had my dumb questions answered, and I even got to hang out with Pat in France while she hosted us in her house. You see, this isn't an internet radio show. It's a real community with real people, caring, loving, brilliant, hysterical people who openly share their talents, but more importantly, their love and admiration of each other. And this community exists all because Allison posted a recording 15 years ago. So to Allison and her producer, Steve, I say congratulations on 15 years. But even more importantly, thank you for creating such a wonderful town where for an hour a week, we all get to live. This message is so dear to me. Dean and Susanna become lifelong friends, as he explained, but hearing his view of the podcast and the community that has grown around it warms my heart just a little bit more. Mac OS Ken's Ken Ray here, host of Ken Ray's Mac OS Ken with Ken Ray, with a prepared message for the NoSillaCast anniversary show. What can one say about Alison Sheridan? Well, according to this, uh, list of things that she's told me I can say. She's knowledgeable. She smells great. And she's there at a moment's notice, provided you can give her a week to 10 days notice. Actually, 15 years of NoSillaCast is pretty amazing. It's not just a show that you've produced, Allison. You've also fostered a community. When macOS Ken hit 
I think it was 12 or 13 years old, somebody wrote to me and said, here's to 12 more. And on the one hand, I thought, only 12? And on the other hand, I thought, do you never want me to rest? So, here is to as many more years of Nocilla cast as you want, Allison. And thanks for everything you've done. Well, I would like the record to show that only Ken was given a required list of what he was allowed to say. And thank you, Ken, for once, for coloring inside the lines. Okay, we have one final recording to play for the show, but I want to take a quick pledge break to thank Ryan Walden. Ryan went over to podfeet.com slash Patreon and made an account and put his hard-earned money down to support the show on a weekly basis. This contribution tells me that he gets value out of the show and wants to give some value back. It would be swell if the podcast didn't cost me money, so contributions like Ryan's really help towards that goal. It doesn't take a lot to make a big difference if enough people contribute. As has always been true, if you simply cannot afford to make a contribution like this, do not feel guilty about it. The show will go on as long as I have a voice. Thank you again, Ryan. You rock. And now for our final contribution. Don't forget, Security Bits is after this. Hi, Allison. This is husband Steve. I'd like to congratulate you on 15 continuous years of the NoSillaCast. What an accomplishment. When you began your podcast adventure back on May 13th, 2005, neither of us had any idea where it would take us. Since then, you've produced a podcast every week like clockwork for 15 years. That's a rare feat in the podcasting community, and one of which you can be proud. Throughout this period, the NoSillaCast community has grown up around you, providing their support, content for your show, and a lot of good times. To commemorate the event, I wanted to capture how your show has evolved over the years. It's been noted by a few people how you've updated your show's introduction quite a bit since beginning the NoSillaCast. So I went back to the first NoSillaCast episode and started listening to the introduction of your earlier and some of your later shows. Your tagline, and particularly your delivery of the word ever in a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias, has grown, shall we say, more enthusiastic over the years. What follows is an audio compilation of your show's introductions, noting this and some of the other changes your introduction underwent over time. The first three clips I selected are excerpts of your show's introduction, starting with the first NoSillaCast in May 2005, followed by episode introductions from July and October of 2005. Hi, this is Allison Sheridan, and welcome to the NoSilla Podcast, or NoSillaCast for short. NoSillaCast is a chronicle of the technology news that I glean from sources such as the Wall Street Journal, uh, using Walter Mossberg's Technology Journal, Leo Laporte's radio, TV, and books on technology. I like Wired Magazine as a good source. I read PC and Mac magazines and various technology podcasts. By the way, I'm calling this the NoSillaCast because I'm dedicating it to my brother Kelly. My brother Kelly called me funny names, and uh, he also believed that I could do absolutely anything. And I keep thinking of him when I thought I really want to do this, and I thought he would encourage me to do it. So I hope you tune in again, and today is... May 13th, 2005. Welcome to the NoSillaCast, a high-tech podcast with an ever-so-slight Macintosh slant. Hi, this is Allison Sheridan bringing you another episode of the NoSillaCast podcast, 
brought to you from the website podfeet.com. Today is Sunday, October 2nd, and this is show number 10. The next three clips show how you fine-tuned your tagline and first added the midnight dialogue opening jingle to your introduction. The last clip, in March 2006, was the first time you used your now well-known tagline in its near final form. Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast hosted at podfeek.com, a tech geek podcast with a slight Macintosh bias. Today is Sunday, October 23rd, and this is show number 14. Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast hosted at podfeet.com. Today is Sunday, January 15th, 2006, and this is show number 26. Well, what'd you think of that snazzy new intro? Can you tell that I got uh, a new copy of iLife 06 with GarageBand, built-in podcasting, and a new new microphone? Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Macintosh bias. Today is Sunday, March 5th, 2006, and this is show number 33. From the time you firmed up your tagline in March 2006, it took about a year for you to get the punch in the word ever as we know it today. The next three clips show how your emphasis on the word ever evolved from March 2006 to March 2007. I like your more enthusiastic presentation much better. A technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Macintosh bias. A technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Macintosh bias. A technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Macintosh bias. One of the ways you were able to produce a show every week for 15 years was through the help of good friends who filled in for you when you were on vacation or otherwise disposed. They all had their unique style for saying your tagline during the show's introduction. The next four clips are from Katie Floyd, Alistair Jenks, Bart Bouchotts, and Chris Ashley doing their part to keep the NoSillaCast going strong. Hi, this is Katie Floyd sitting in for the still vacationing Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast Mac podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Macintosh bias. Hi, this is Alistair Jenks standing in for Allison Sheridan on the NoSillaCast Mac podcast, hosted at podfeet.com a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Macintosh bias. Hi folks, welcome to the NoSillaCast Mac podcast hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Macintosh bias. Hi, this is Chris Ashley and Rob Dunwood hosting the NoSillaCast Apple podcast hosted at podfeet.com. A technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. I have to say, I particularly enjoyed Bart's and Chris's emphasis on the word ever. And finally, we've arrived at your current tagline, where you subtly replaced Macintosh with Apple in April of 2017. Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSellacast podcast, hosted at podfeed.com. A technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. With such dramatic changes over 15 years, it makes one wonder what your tagline may evolve to in the future. But seriously, your show has evolved in many ways other than your introduction, including adding listener contributions and reviews, dumb question corner, 
chit-chat across the pond, trade show video interviews, the live show with the NoSilicast chat room, the NoSilicast Facebook and Slack groups, and growing from the single NoSilicast to the collection of Podfeet podcasts. One of the most significant changes and a wise choice on your part was to include Bart as a significant presence on your shows. I went back to see when he came onto the scene and found Bart's original contribution to the NoSilicast was back in September of 2006, where he talked about the Synergy application. His submission to your 59th episode was revelatory when he wrote, Hi, Allison. I use Synergy at work to link my Mac and my Linux box, and although I'm not at all afraid of the command line, I do like to avoid it when I can. <laughs> Little did he or you know that seven years later, together you'd create a 37-part podcast series called Taming the Terminal. And two years after that, you'd start the Programming by Stealth podcast, a 95-part series that is still going strong. And of course, we can't forget Bart's Security Bits segment, a continuing and important segment of the NoSilicast. Other than yourself, there is no other person that has contributed more to the Podfeet podcast than Bart. I give him a ton of credit in helping to keep your shows vibrant and informative over the years, and I know how much you appreciate his contributions and his friendship. As I look back, I think the most meaningful NoSilicast development over these 15 years is the community that has grown up around you and the new set of friends we've come to know because of your podcast. I'm a believer that the community that forms around a podcast reflects the personality of the podcast host. And I think that's why the folks in the NoSilicast community are interesting, informed, and caring people. A reflection of you, Allison. You and I consider many of the NoSilicast community members as friends, even though we haven't met them in real life. Take my wingman Kevin, whom we've never met in person, yet we both consider a dear friend. We've also traveled across the United States, the Atlantic, and the Pacific to meet some of these friends in person, like Bart. I know you've thoroughly enjoyed each one of these NoSilicast meetups as much as I have, and I also know you look forward to many more meetups wherever they may take us. I am so pleased you started and stayed with the NoSilicast, for without it, just think of the community and friendships we'd be missing. So again, Allison, congratulations on achieving 15 wonderful years of the NoSilicast. I'm extremely proud of what you've accomplished, and I'm very pleased to see the NoSilicast aways evolve into the thriving, kind, and supportive community that surrounds us today. That's it for now. And you can rest assured that I will stay subscribed, at least for another 15 years. Well, thank you, Steve. And thank you to everyone who listens and participates and contributes in any way to the show. As husband Steve said, our lives are richer because of you. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchot's right on the heels of all of this frivolity. We're going to buckle down and talk about security, Bart. I guess so. Um, but uh, I just I want to I just it's amazing. 15 years. Um, I just want to join in and say, you know, thank you so much for building a community full of wonderful people. Um, you know, we've just spent quite some time listening to them all as people are listening to this. and. I, I adore your community. I 
I don't know of any other online community I like as much. The, the Nocilla Castaways are quite simply the best, and it's because you are the the, the glue that holds us all together. I'm sometimes referred to as that annoying woman talking in the corner of the live show, but uh, I, I, I I take your point and thank you. Um, it is really cool that uh, just about everybody mentioned the community and that makes me feel so good. So it's not like, oh, Allison, you're amazing. That's not what it's about, right? It's about all of us getting together and having some tech fun and, and enjoying each other. And it really is nice people. Well, right. It's, there, there are very few online communities where you don't occasionally end up at the very least, typing something and then hitting command A backspace because you're cranky as old crankiness. But that doesn't happen in the Slack. Like it's no, it's a lovely there aren't place. Any and and it's wide open too, right? I've yeah. never closed the door on anybody coming in. Yeah, so you just so, you attract uh, all good people. It's also very inclusive. It's also very diverse. I, I have never yeah, felt even vaguely judged for for being, you know. A pinko, cummy, lefty, gay foreigner. <laughs> you forgot socialist, right? I forgot so. Well, pinko sort of covers that. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, that is that is a true point. Oh, immigrant. Well, we forgot immigrant. Technically, I'm oh, an immigrant, yeah, right? Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> You're a mess. Uh, <laughs> No, that's that. That's great. I, I, you know, we didn't really talk much about the uh, inclusiveness, but it definitely uh, everybody's welcome, and everybody has to play nice, and we don't ever have to tell anybody that. That's really an interesting thing. Yeah, well, super. But we probably should. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, Steve, Steve is the moderator, and you know he's allowed to throw anybody out, and he never gets to. Oh, <laughs> he has big buttons. He doesn't I, get to push. No, I think I, he. There are some gates in Facebook because people they're they're uh, bots, and he does oh. keep those out. So that, that that makes him happy. He gets to stop the bots. Yeah, right? robots don't have a personality. They're not part of the community. Right. All right. Well, we probably should kick in. Uh, we've been going on a long time, but uh, let's sure. uh, start with security bits. Okay, so we'll start with some feedback and follow up, which is all follow up, basically long running stories we've been tracking. So. The Apple and Google Exposure Notification API continues to move towards fruition. Um, I think that's coming out of beta either late this month or early next month. Um, Apple have released some concepts for how it will look in iOS, so you can go have a sneak peek of what it will look like. Um, Apple and Google have agreed that contact tracing apps will not be allowed to do location tracking, so that's part of the terms of using the API. Um, And Apple will allow you to delete the tracing data uh, when they release iOS 13.5. And I came across a really good article on Tidbits um, sort of looking at um, how the API is being treated by different governments. Um, uh, Oh, sorry, no, wrong one. I'm skipping ahead of myself. Um, A former Apple engineer, here's why I trust Apple's notification proposal. Um, So that is... Yeah, you know, from the horse's mouth, worth reading on on why why why. Okay, I'll I get to put my money where my mouth is. Ireland is going the Apple way, and I will be installing the app. So that's yeah, right. That's it. That's a endorsement right there. Yeah. So I think that sort of cuts to the chase. Um, lots of governments are continuing to work on contact tracing, um, as they call it, or exposure tracing, as I th- or exposure notifications, I think we should be calling it, and as Apple and Google say, we should be yeah. calling it. 
Um, European countries are actually getting together. So a, a whole bunch of European countries have jumped on board with Apple. So Germany really flipped things over when they changed their mind. And they're now working on cross-border. So the idea being that you would install the Irish app, but as you then went into the UK, bad example, because they're not going, yeah. You install the French app, and then you go into, no, that's another bad example. You install the Belgian app, and you go into <laughs> Germany, um, or Italian and German or something. It would flip over automatically. Because uh, you know the way we were oh. saying that every country would run their own servers for, for yeah. collating and distributing the notifications. Well, you could have a a German app and go to Switzerland and it would then when you go into Switzerland switch to the Swiss servers and then when you come home switch back to the German servers okay so that's interesting interesting yeah Um, apparently so the UK rolled out a test of their non-Apple Google system and shock and or horror it didn't work in the background (laughs) any idiot could have told them that that wasn't allowed Right, anyone could have told them that. I'm not a developer, and I knew that. Um, and the, the Australians ran into exactly the same problem. Um, so apparently, according to unofficial sources, the UK are now looking at switching to Apple and Google's technology, and I'm really not sure what's happening in Australia. Um, so there's not, no clarity that I can see there. Um, and then, unfortunately, Singapore is finding that people are not voluntarily using their app. Uh, so they're going with highly invasive mandatory surveillance instead, which is not a happy story. And meanwhile, also in the not happy column, I put these in the wrong order. Um, Utah have decided to go their own way as well. So they're they're next. They're following Australia and the UK and France into a non-functioning app. So I guess they'll learn. Wait a minute, how can Utah go its own way? Well, I think it's by local I mean, health, been right? A different. So in America, um, your local health authority is your state, right? Which is why your lockdown is different to other lockdowns, etc. So I thought it was the, the each country got one. No, it's each health authority. Mm. So basically, whatever way your health authority, whoever is the boss of your health, gets to have an app, but just one. <sighs> Yeah, right. No, for you, that's great. I mean, it's California. No, but I have friends in Utah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, yeah. That's, that was, I shouldn't assume you were being selfish. That's terrible of me. <laughs> um, there is also an excellent opinion piece on iMore. I'm not sure if it's opinion or analysis, but either way, it's a, it's a well-written piece that does the sort of a forest instead of the trees look at how governments are interacting with this whole contract tracing slash exposure notification question. And it just sort of gives you the big picture story of different governments and what's going on. It's actually, because we're getting lots of, you know, piece by piece on this. And it's actually really nice that someone has taken the effort of stepping back, collating it all, and then organizing it into a sane and sensible discussion. So uh, well done, Imor. Saved me an awful lot of hassle. And definitely worth a read. If you read nothing else, actually, skip straight to that one and just just read that and then you're covered. Next up, we have our friends at Zoom. Um, And I used to say that really ironically, and now I genuinely mean it. Um, Are continuing their push for security and privacy. They have purchased uh, end-to-end encryption specialist Keybase, um, which is making some people who like Keybase a little cranky, but people who like Zoom quite happy. Um, so that that's an interesting aqua hire, I think, more than anything else. They're basically getting some people with serious end-to-end encryption chops into the Zoom team, and that can only be good. 
Have you ever seen a company turn 180 degrees on security this quickly? No, no. These uh, we joked earlier that would be a case study for business, you know, for business school. Uh, that's not a joke. That's that is now true. Yeah. Tylenol and this. <laughs> huh. Yeah, seriously. Honest, honestly, that is why I genuinely think they are going to be a chapter in people's university books in a few years' time. Oh, good. About how to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our friends at Clearview AI, and I do mean that one sarcastically, um, <laughs> are in trouble in a court in Illinois because Illinois have the strictest rules of any US state when it comes to uh, biometrics. And so these are the company who, against a whole bunch of terms of service, have been scraping social media sites, gathering a database of images, and then using AI to provide a search engine for people to basically upload a photograph and then search it against their massive database and their AI system and to try to turn random photographs of people on the street into, well, it's Joe Blogs on Facebook and so-and-so on Twitter, etc., and probably tie them back to a real human being in the process. And that's collecting people's face prints without their permission, which is why they're in trouble in Illinois, uh, as part of their court filings, we have learned some new things. We have learned that they have promised to stop selling their technology to private companies. They're only going to sell it to law enforcement. They have also said they will not sell it to anyone in Illinois, whether they be law enforcement or not. And they Why Illinois? Pardon? Oh, oh, okay. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Sorry. And they have also promised that they're going to filter out Illinois people from their database. I don't think that's mm. actually technically possible, but okay. Have a go. Yeah. Huh. Um, and they are saying, apparently, that they are working on an opt-out mechanism for everyone else. So that we can, pro we can basically upload our face to a company who's scraping the internet for faces and say, don't scan my face. Not entirely sure how that's going to work. But that's just yeah. something they're promising the court they will do. In fact, what they're saying to the court is, we're voluntarily going to do this in the vague future, so please don't order us to. I don't know how well <laughs> that will go over with the judge, so I think stay tuned on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, social media companies continue to try to clean up their platforms. Um, Twitter is testing a new feature that asks you to rethink hurtful language. So when you hit post, oh, wow. it will sort of go, um, are you sure you meant that? It reminds oh, me of wow. a feature that used to be extremely popular in a mail client. Oh, sugar, I've just forgot its name now. Ah, it used to be a really popular mail client that completely disappeared. What was the functionality? Maybe it'll come back. To it you. would give you a chili rating on your email for the spiciness of your language. Hmm. Interesting. Was it Eudora? I know for a while Gmail had a uh, feature, I don't know if it's still there, where you've got a, you've got a minute to go br pull it back. Yeah, kind of like the undo feature. Yeah, no, but this this was basically a pre-send because it was obviously an old-fashioned mail client. This is in the days of Pop and IMA or Pop and SMTP and stuff. I I think it was Eudora. I think it was Eudora that had this feature. But I remember and it would give you a rating before you hit send. Yeah, and it would sort of warn you if it detected language it thought was a bit not safe for work, and it caused great consternation in the library because the abbreviation for title, which is pronounced tight, is the first three letters of the word title. And Eudora <laughs> just assumed that these librarians who are as far... Like, 
it took the person who <laughs> ran into the problem about 10 minutes to understand why it was happening. They were so innocent. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's, that's I don't know whether, yeah, so the same sort of idea, right? It'll filter your tweets and ask you, are you sure? Um, and maybe if you're tweeting in anger, maybe that's all you actually need, right? Just gate you just a minute to calm down. You know, the old count to 10 trick we tell our kids and then don't do ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, Twitter is also taking on uh, COVID-19 misinformation with, by sort of flagging it as being misinformation. It's an approach. Um, it is interesting to see everybody on the same page trying to, to stop these problems. Mm. You know, I mean, it, it, Facebook and Twitter and, uh, you know, Instagram, everybody is trying to say, okay, this is what we're not going to let you do. It's interesting that I always wondered where the line was because, you know, anti-vax clearly wasn't the line. Um, hate speech clearly wasn't the line. Terrorism clearly wasn't the line. <laughs> but this is the line. Yeah. Yeah, I guess since it affects everybody. The um uh I don't know if you know this, but also um uh Apple Books and probably Kindle Books um won't allow you to put up a book that has COVID nineteen like in the title or the purpose of the book. Excellent. A friend of mine wrote one where it was kinda like uh, you know, um what was it? Meditation exercises to help you during COVID nineteen and it was rejected on that basis. So they had to retitle it during times of stress or something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also know that in the App Store, you are, on Apple's App Store, only health organizations are allowed to put up um, health-related or COVID-19-related apps, and they're getting expedited through uh, validation. Hmm. So that's an interesting approach. So only the people with a competency in the area may have an app, and if you do so, we will fast-track you. So they like that. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Instagram have added more tools to give people more control over their account in the, well, basically the idea is that if you're the victim of online bullying, you have more buttons to push to protect yourself. So that that can okay. only be a good thing. Okay. Google are also continuing to try clean up their browser extension ecosystem. So they have squished a whole bunch of crypto stealing Chrome, malicious Chrome extensions or swatted, according to the naked security headline. Uh, whether and they squished them or swatted them, they're gone. That- Crypto uh, stealing is that thing where your browser is off uh, doing crypto mining. And no, and crypto your, stealing is your worse. Your your browser is sitting there watching you go to the websites where you manage your crypto your bitcoins and then steals the secret, the private key to your crypto wallet and actually steals oh, your okay, cryptocurrency. That's a little worse. Yeah, so it's actually worse. It's not stealing your CPU cycles; it's stealing your cryptocurrency. So okay. Yeah. Finally, Microsoft is joining in in the rolling out of DNS over HTTPS, or DOE, um, with Windows 10 picking up support in the latest release. So again, oh, all good. positive developments there. Now we get to do a scary big deep dive. So we have another named bug, Thunder Spy. Sounds great. I don't see a fire extinguisher here. Uh, I didn't think it warranted a fire extinguisher. It also doesn't warrant panicking. Okay. It, it is real. Right, I'll let you explain. Okay. Yeah, it's in between. So I, I, I tried to sum it up in one TLDR paragraph. Um, so none of these exploits can be carried out remotely. That's the first thing. So they all require physical access. But they do let an attacker suck the entire contents of RAM out of your computer, which is kind of dangerous. Uh, 
the only protection really is to physically like cement up your port, your Thunderbolt port, or which is not really practical. More practically, always power down your computer rather than putting it to sleep when it's out of your sight or control. Um, mm. The other thing to say is that PCs are much more badly affected than Macs unless you run boot camp, in which case you're completely open to attack while booted into Windows or Linux. Um, and these vulnerabilities leave important people very exposed, but are not really all that likely to affect you or I. I think the one obvious exception I could think of, the one time I think it might affect normal people is if you're crossing borders. So if you need to travel to somewhere like China or Russia on business, and you're an exec for a corporation where the, you know there might be some interest in stealing your corporate secrets or whatever, or if you're a journalist or something like that and you're crossing a border, then it would I would think you should power down your device um, as you and anytime you're while you're in that country and it's out of your sight as well. I would think that is also true, but I would think that goes double, triple, quadruple for the act of crossing a border. Yeah, right. Where we know they can take it. Yeah. By the way, for those who don't know what he meant by TLDR, that's a shortened phrase for "too long didn't read." So if you don't read the rest of this and you only listen to that part, that's what he meant. Yes, which I've started to do actually on on all of our deep dives these days because I, I you know, like people people do often just want, you know, yeah, 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 whatever, Bart, just get to the short bit. Do I panic or do I, I not care. panic? So there's there's the short bit. So, go. so I am surprised to hear you say much PCs more badly affected than Macs because I had heard Macs were uh, not vulnerable to this except unless they were running boot camp or a VM. Okay, so there are seven vulnerabilities. Wow. And two of the seven affect Macs running Mac OS. And hmm. five okay. of the seven don't. And one of the okay. seven is purely affects everyone running a Mac that is using bootcamp. Okay. So that, I mean, it's complicated. That, that, that is the other way I could have tld or this. It's complicated. Um, <laughs> okay. So a security researcher called Bjorn uh, Röttenberg from Enthoven in the, the Enthoven University of Technology, and I get to show off my proper Dutch pronunciation for once. I've heard mm-hmm. so many terrible Bjorn Reutenberg von Eindhoven. No, it's Eindhoven. And Reutenberg. Anyway. Um, so he's called a Thunder Spy. There is obviously a website for it. Um, at the end of the day, this boils down to the fact that Thunderbolt's big thing is that it's really, really, really fast, right? That was the problem to be solved. And the way that problem was solved is by something called Direct Memory Access, or DMA. And what that means is that, in effect, a Thunderbolt controller is a low-level system bus projected off the motherboard and out into the evil universe, into the big bad real world. So that's kind of equivalent to ripping the top of your computer and sticking probes onto different bits of your motherboard in some ways. As that's always inherently dangerous. And DMA sounds scary, and it should, because DMA allows Thunderbolt to write straight into RAM and to read straight from RAM without the CPU acting as a middleman and mediating that access, basically giving permission and help. Is that why it's so fast? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's much easier to take than to ask. Okay. Um, but that's inherently dangerous. 
So the only way you can provide protection for RAM is if you have a low-level firewalling of DMA within the actual Thunderbolt controller. Because there's nothing between the Thunderbolt controller and RAM, right? It's direct memory access. So the only place you can filter it to do any protection is in the Thunderbolt controller. And in early versions of Thunderbolt, that was just not even considered. But actually, in the late, in, in Thunderbolt 2 and 3, there are there is a sort of an API, a protocol, a specification defining a mechanism by which an operating system can tell the Thunderbolt chip how it wants to effectively think of it like a firewall. So the operating system can tell the Thunderbolt controller how it should filter access into RAM. And so that way, the Thunderbolt controller isn't running everything by the CPU, but the Thunderbolt has been told by the CPU what filtering it should apply. And then that way, you still have direct access, but it's not universal direct access. It's direct access to the pieces that have been assigned to you. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. So that exists in the technology. But it's up to the operating system to tell the Thunderbolt controller how to filter. So three guesses why the Mac is less affected than everything else. Is Mac OS does do the firewalling? Yes, and no one else. Not Linux, not Windows. So Apple are the only ones who have implemented this filtering. And what that does is it, it makes the exploit chain on the Mac just way less powerful. So they are still vulnerable to two different vulnerabilities we'll talk about in a sec. But because of this filtering, the damage that you can do is limited. So on Windows and on Linux, when you use the other vulnerabilities, you get access to all of RAM. And on a Mac, you get access to the bits of RAM that have been allocated to any trusted Thunderbolt device. That's still bad, right? Having access to the RAM of any trusted Thunderbolt device is not ideal. But it's different to have at it, have access to everything. Wow. And to have access to everything is particularly dangerous because one of the things that is has to be in RAM for your computer to function is the decryption key for full disk encryption. Oh, really? But it has to be in RAM or you can't read or write from your disk. Right, right. It has to be actively known. It has to be actively known. And if you have a okay. 1Password Vault unlocked, that has to be in RAM because that's what it means to be unlocked. If you're in the middle of using a private <sighs> key, it has to be in RAM. That's what it means to be using a private key. So there's a lot of nasty stuff in all of RAM, but that stuff isn't just anywhere in RAM. It's not in the bits of RAM that are usually allocated to Thunderbolt. So in the Apple scenario, the attacker only gets to cherry pick small pieces of RAM, not of their choosing. So that means that in a practical sense, you can do so much less damage on a Mac because you're not getting access to the whole kit and caboodle. You're only getting access to the firewalled off pieces. So that's why people say the Mac is not affected. So let me ask a question here. Um, If you have a Thunderbolt backup drive Mm -hmm. and you have an encrypted disk and you're doing an encrypted backup, Mm -hmm. wouldn't the... that? Uh, Thunderbolt drive would have in it the uh, decryption key for um, the full disk encryption. Right. In other words, it's a trusted Thunderbolt device, and you would they would be able to get to it. I don't. I don't think so, but I can't promise you because the device driver's job is to put ones and zeros from the drive into the operating system, and the encryption and decryption is not done by the driver; it's done by the OS. So the driver's RAM shouldn't have the keys. Oh. 
right? I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So the, the driver so is only shoveling ones and zeros. The OS has to know it. Yeah. Yeah. So the low-level driver and is shoveling encrypted data, and the OS is then dealing with it. So on Windows, you still have a problem, because on Windows and Linux, the bad guy just gets all of RAM. But on a Mac, you shouldn't have a problem. Okay. And by driver, you mean the driver that knows how to talk to the, the physical drive. Correct. So the Thunderbolt... Okay. So, so right. So the, there is a Thunderbolt connection to that drive, and that means that there is DMA happening at the driver level powering that Thunderbolt drive. Okay. And if you had a Thunderbolt display, there would be a different driver shoving around the ones and zeros representing, you know, blue, yellow, pink, whatever. At the risk of jumping ahead, um, mm-hmm. th- the fact that macOS has these protections in place makes it much more optimistic that that uh, Microsoft and the Linux community can fix this. It does. That is that is a very good observation. That's yes, the good news because right? the okay. protocols exist; they are already in use on on macOS. So clearly, the argument of oh we oh we could never do that is a silly argument because we have a counterexample. And this is why it's good to have diversity of operating systems. Correct. It's not always Apple that's the smart one. Yes. Remember that. But in this case, these guys can go, oh, man, we should have done that. Okay, let's let's do exactly what they did. Yeah. So the problems, there's seven problems. One of them is really easy. If you boot in, if you boot into boot, if you boot Windows or Linux using Bootcamp, all Thunderbolt security is disabled. So that is vulnerability number seven. Bootcamp turns everything off. Hmm. Which, okay. given that those OSs don't support a whole bunch of the security, I, to some extent, I would say that's stating the obvious. So the other six are really the 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 the, the ones that are worth thinking about. And they well, hang on, hang on. Before you move on, uh, you're talking about bootcamp. What about a VM? I've heard that a VM, you're just as vulnerable. Uh, Maybe not. Okay, I won't. I, I I haven't done any research. You've completely blindsided me. But I don't understand how a VM would have Thunderbolt. How would you? How would you Thunderbolt to a VM? Well, you can USB to a VM. You can monitor. You can but, Ethernet. Why couldn't you Thunderbolt? You would. You would have to create your VM and proactively map the Thunderbolt port into the VM. You, you but that really have to go out of your way. A lot of. I don't know. I mean, I don't have to actively port my USB port you, into my VM. You do. You you absolutely have to tick the boxes when you're setting up a VM to do that. Well, right, but why wouldn't you with Thunderbolt as well? I mean, it's a Thunderbolt backup drive. I want to be able to, or a Thunderbolt external drive. But, I want to be able to But you wouldn't be mapping it through a Thunderbolt VM. level. You'd be mapping it through as a drive mounted by the OS. So you wouldn't be mapping through Thunderbolt. I genuinely don't Maybe think... Maybe I don't understand that, what that means. So the question is, is the driver... You would have to give the VM control of your hardware Thunderbolt controller. I just don't think you'd do that. You'd emulate that. So you'd have the VM controlling a pretend Thunderbolt device, which you have no connection to in the physical oh, world. Okay. So it would... I am... Okay. I, I don't want to go into this in too much detail because I did not prep this. This is such a blindside question. But okay. my gut reaction is I am 95% sure the answer is unless you really go out of your way, the answer is no. Okay. But I say I won't go I won't go to 100% on that. Um boom 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 boom. So 
Six vulnerabilities, and they fall into two very distinct categories in terms of the long-term effect. So the first problem is basically down to the fact that Intel did a really bad job defining the Thunderbolt standards, all three of them, one, two, and three. Um, And in this case, these vulnerabilities focus on Thunderbolt 2 and 3. And the problem is there is no cryptographic mechanism for digitally signing device metadata, which means that you can clone a Thunderbolt device. So if a device has a trust relationship with a computer, you can clone that device. And there's nothing any computer can do to defend itself because the spec just does not provide for any sort of authentication. Okay. That's the problem that's going to be really hard to fix. The only fix to that is Thunderbolt 4 does it right. The other issue then is Intel again, but it's a very different Intel problem. The specification actually does support digitally signed firmware, which is a major step up from Firewire, which came before it. And the idea being that they knew they would have to do firmware updates because if they ever found a bug, they had to have a secure way of fixing the bug. So they were right to implement digital signatures and firmware. They just implemented shockingly badly. So it's all signed, but the signatures are not checked appropriately, not often enough. So basically, it should be theoretically impossible to replace the firmware with malicious firmware. But because Intel did a really bad job of making the actual chips it actually is possible to install malicious firmware, and that's what the attacks demonstrate. Okay. And if someone other than... So you could make Thunderbolt 3 chips better, and then these vulnerabilities wouldn't exist. So these are fixable with new hardware without changing the spec. The first one can't be fixed until at least Thunderbolt 4. Hmm. Okay. So... With all of that said and done, what are, how do you actually attack this? How does, in the real world, how does a bad guy or gal make use of this? Uh, oh, this is an interesting typo. Um, the evil male attack in the show notes is an evil maid attack. Um, okay. So there's two scenarios. Uh, so the evil maid attack is someone with physical access, it should say, but no technical expertise. So what does it say, physical knowledge? That makes no sense. Physical access, but no technical expertise could exploit these vulnerabilities if they have both a computer to attack and access to a device that is currently trusted by that computer, like a monitor or a dock or a hard drive, something that has already been paired with that computer. The evil maid would then also have to be given some sort of physical dongle by the masterminds of the attack who are, you know, ordering this maid to do the attacking. The maid would plug the trusted device into their attacking dongle. That would clone the dongle because the spec doesn't have any protection from cloning. The dongle can now masquerade as the trusted piece of hardware, so the evil maid shoves it into the side of the target computer, and hey presto, it now gets access into that computer's RAM because it appears to be the trusted monitor or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah. When you when you plug in your iPhone to your Mac, it asks you to trust it, but you plug in a monitor or a dock or a hard drive, it doesn't 
there is, device they don't ask to trust is it something done in the background we don't see yes there is there is i don't know the full details there is there is a yes so when your computer is asleep and you were to okay so if your computer is asleep and you plug in a monitor you've never plugged in before it won't work your computer has to be unlocked and functional for you to pair a new uh, thunderbolt device so they would have to hmm. have your password to connect a foreign, a, an unknown device. But to make things more seamlessly, you can, while the computer is asleep, shove a regular device that it already knows about into the port. Okay. So th- the attack only works if the device's power is either asleep or on. It doesn't work if the device is off because then there's nothing in RAM. So you can DMA into nothingness all you want. Useless. So the idea would be you have a sleeping laptop, the the maid has a dongle, they shove the dongle into your monitor, and then they shove the dongle into your computer, and then they have everything in your RAM if you have a PC, or a select subset of RAM if you have a Mac. The other attack, then, is the evil techie attack. So this involves someone with physical access and expertise, and a few tools. In this case, they will open your computer with a screwdriver, They will find the Thunderbolt controller, they will hook their little attack machine to it, and they will reflash the firmware with malicious firmware, which should be theoretically impossible, but as we've mentioned, because Intel messed up, it isn't impossible, and then they have evil malware embedded into the actual hardware of your computer, and that is just bad. So really, the only reliable defense from both of these scenarios is for your computer to be powered down when it's out of your physical control, because both of these attack scenarios are defeated by having the thing off. So just keep it off. And I would say for regular folk, that means when you're crossing borders and going into places, you know things, you know, you're at risk. But if you were a high value target, like a CEO or a high level engineer for a multinational company or a journalist or a campaigner or a politician or a diplomat or a lawyer, there's quite a few high value people when you stop to think about it. For you, Mm -hmm. I would think you need to be more careful every time you let something out of your sight. and then we've already kind of covered on the Macs are more or less effective than PC. So I have some actual quotes in the show notes listing the name of the technology and stuff. But actually, we've, we've covered it better in colloquial English than we have. In, I'm not going to reread this because it'll only make things more confusing. But there is a okay. table copied and pasted badly into the show notes. I need to remove two additional no's. Um, <laughs> and basically, it shows a nice little table of each of the seven vulnerabilities and how they affect Mac hardware. So basically, if you're running on a Mac, it's no, partially, partially, no, 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 no. And for Windows, it's lots of yeses. And for Linux, it's lots of yeses. So I think we've covered that one. And that's just something you'd like to ask me. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> no, the other day. <laughs> Excellent. We have you. Um, we have you. <laughs> I think uh, I think I follow what you're saying. Perfect. Yeah. So the the hope for the future is Thunderbolt four and uh, Microsoft and the Linux community to update as best they can to put the firewall protections in. Correct. And then the rest of us wait for Thunderbolt four. Yes. And in the meantime, Intel Intel could do a lot by releasing better Thunderbolt three controllers. But again, that's only going to help one the next time we buy a new computer at best. 
Right. Okay. Action alert! It was Patch Tuesday. We have many critical bugs. Um, Mac users who have Adobe Acrobat Reader installed need to perk up here. There is a nasty flaw that got patched in Reader. Um, it's a remote, it's, it's sorry, not remote code execution, it's privilege escalation giving all the way up to root. So that's the kind of bug that if chained with a remote code execution is catastrophic. Um, and even it turns any old Trojan into something really, really dangerous if it can get straight to root. So that's definitely patch your Adobe Reader. Or, as many of these security articles suggest, <laughs> perhaps ask yourself the question, do you actually need Adobe's Reader? And if you don't, remove it and you'll just be better off. Yeah. How many times do you shake your fist at sites that say, well, you have to have Adobe Reader to, to download this file? Thankfully, no, I, I don't. I see that much less these days, but if I see it, I 100% will, at the very least, mentally shake, shake my fist. fist. Yeah, no, I saw it last week. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. just... It tends to be government sites that haven't been updated in 20 years that are probably still running COBOL. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Print Demon is a patch that fixes a nasty bug just discovered in a really old part of Windows that deals with printers. Um, so that was in the Patch Tuesday from Microsoft. Uh, so patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Uh, Firefox 76 also got a... It's one of the big numbered updates. We've got a whole bunch of critical bug fixes. Um, but it's worth mentioning as well because they've also put a lot of work into bulking up their uh, built-in password manager, including uh, vulnerable password warnings. So that's a nice feature for friends and family who don't fancy going all the way to a bells and whistles password manager like we would recommend. At least if they're Firefox users, they now have a fairly decent um, password manager built into their browser. And maybe that's a reason oh, to good. nudge them from Chrome towards Firefox. In terms no, of worthy warnings, then, um, as expected, cyber criminals will never get a good crisis go to waste. You need to be extra vigilant during these stressful times. So uh, there's a warning from Brian Krebs that a new variant of the old uh, tech support scam is really taking off. So you know the classic one where they phone up and they say they're from Microsoft support and they say, right. go look on this file. And if you see blah, blah, then you're infected with a doohickey and now give us your money and we'll fix it for you. And it's all garbage, of course, apart from the we'll take your money part. Well, there's a new variant where they're saying we will suspend your Windows license unless you pay us, because we've detected that your IP address has been caught viewing child pornography. It's a scam. Mm. Don't fall for it. Mm -hmm. uh, the coronavirus pandemic coincides with a spike in online puppy scams. It would appear that one way of keeping kids sane while they're locked up is with a puppy. So beware. Well, yeah, um, apparently the, the uh, shelters are empty right now. Oh no! Ever well, no, that's wonderful. Oh, okay. Sorry, people, I wasn't sure if you were being sarcastic. People are getting dogs. No, 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 no. People are getting dogs because they're like lonely, and it turns out you're allowed to go outside and walk if you have a dog in a lot of places, and so the shelters are empty. I hope to, it's hard to get a dog now. I hope to goodness those people become really good dog owners. 
Yeah, yeah, there's that. You don't want it to be the, oh, look, we got a duckling for Easter for our kid, and then... Yeah, I was going to say the old, the old cliche of the dog for Christmas, and then the poor thing ends up in the in the kennel six weeks later. Yeah. Fingers crossed, though, fingers crossed. Especially if they're going to the pound for a rescue dog, that's so much better than, than getting a puppy, right? Because at least a puppy mm-hmm. becomes less cute. A rescue dog only becomes more cute as they become less afraid and more settled in. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, Naked Security are warning about a scam, and they have screenshots. It's actually really quite convincing. Um, So the one they have screenshots of is a a fake DHL delivery message email. Um, But really, the concept is more broad. There's no reason attackers couldn't impersonate UPS or anyone else either. Um, So... It it comes down to the old don't click on links in email. So your your standard device, Allison, would save you from this scam and most scams like it. So so many people are ordering so much stuff online that it's such ripe pickings to in to impersonate delivery companies. So be very, very careful. I was really angry this week when uh, Libsyn changed the way uh, their uh, FTP service works, that, that that you're required to have a different password for FTP than you have for um, for logging into their website. And the way they told you was with an email that said, click here, log in, and, chain, and add a new password. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's no, I'm not going to do that yeah, so much. That stinks of 15-day-old turbot. What's that? Oh, sorry, it's a fish. a fish. Oh. <laughs> and I'm sure at 15 days old, it stinks. Yeah. Yeah, oh God, I wouldn't click on that. Mm-mm. I'd be on to their support and I'd be cranky. Um. Then I have a specific warning for uh, residents of the United States from Brian Krebs. The U.S. Secret Service are warning of massive fraud against state unemployment insurance programs. And I think the real worry here is that someone could claim on your behalf and then you would get locked out of such a vital program at such an important time. So I think the only thing is a bit like a lot of the fraud around tax time. I think the only way to protect yourself is to be sure that you get in first. Um, so hopefully most people are not going to be letting any grass grow on this because why would you? So maybe this isn't as bad as it could be, but really it, it, anything you can do to, to, to claim your own benefits before someone else gets a chance to is probably wise. Mm. And in the UK, I am sorry to say that I more are reporting, uh, fake contact tracing text messages, which is particularly frightening in these times. So that's yay. Back to more normal stuff. GoDaddy say unauthorized individuals had access to login information. And the good news is if you haven't been contacted by GoDaddy, you're not one of the victims of this. If you have been contacted by GoDaddy, well, you know you are and you should do your thing. Um, User data from a dating app called MobyFriends has been found on a hacking forum. If you're a user, check the story in the show notes. There has also been uh, a leak of millions of private emails and chats from a site called Cam4, which is described as an adult live streaming site. That sounds like Blackmail Central to me. Um, So I hope that doesn't apply to any of our listeners. And then finally, a warning from Brian Krebs for U.S. citizens in a number of U.S. states. It's quite a large number, actually. There's There's a single U.S. Company that are responsible for processing 
unemployment benefits again for a whole bunch of US states. And their system is doing something a bit like what you were describing, where they're sending out really, really suspicious-looking letters, and they're supposedly doing it to prevent identity theft, and it just looks like they are doing identity theft. So have a read. It has screenshots, and that way, if you get one of these letters, you know it is actually legitimate, even though it looks like it shouldn't be. So if you're in the US, okay. uh, just check if your estate is on it, and if you're, if you're uh, applying for unemployment benefits... Beware of these letters and don't let them frighten you. They are misguided, but real. Hmm. So notable news. Facebook has bought Giphy, which is the world's leading animated GIF provider. And uh, that sort of brings up all sorts of privacy concerns. At the moment, Facebook are saying, no, 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 no. We promise we're not abusing this data in any way. Your mileage may vary on how you feel about that. Um... I'm not comfortable with it. My first concern wasn't for privacy because like, why do you care if I, you know, put in a a gif of uh, Jim Carrey dancing in a tutu? Ah. How was that a privacy thing? Well, the reason it would be a privacy thing was because their API is embedded into all sorts of things like Slack. And and now we know from Slack that uh, they do not pass the name of channels and stuff back. But with the level of embedding of Giphy into other things, there is a real danger of PII sneaking back. Oh, okay. Okay. Because it's like Giphy is just... I was busy just, being worried that Giphy wouldn't work everywhere else if once uh, Facebook got their hands on it. That's a whole other worry that they could use it to to damage their competition. But I actually think it's... That would be very obvious and get them stupendous bad press. The true evil would be to silently hoover up data like they did with their Onavo VPN, which allowed them to realize that they should buy Instagram. So they could use it for business intelligence and get a real one-up on their competitors. Anyway, a very good story on Wired outlining the dangers in the history. Good news! You can lock your Google Drive on iOS with Face ID or Touch ID. So that's really nice. You can hand your phone to someone and even if they click on the Google app, you can have it that they have to do Face ID or Touch ID before they can get in. Like 1Password has that extra layer of protection. Hmm. Nest are also adding two-factor auth for all of their users this month. Again, good. Microsoft have launched a $100,000 bug bounty program for their Azure Sphere IoT security platform. So this is basically a service Microsoft provides to allow the makers of IoT devices to securely push software updates and firmware updates to their IoT devices. So having a bug bounty program for that security platform for IoT devices is a really positive development, I think. So well done, Microsoft. Um, One that I'm sort of mentioning, not because I think you should panic, and I should, I, you can copy and paste in a fire extinguisher in this one if you like. Um. It is true that security researchers have found a remote access tool from the notorious hacking group, the Lazarus Group. They're a really big cybercrime group. Um, So it's a RAT, a remote access tool, basically a backdoor. And it's targeting the Mac. Uh, But the takeaway here isn't that we're all in danger because the Lazarus Group, they're not going after you and me. They, They want to steal a few million from a bank. They really don't care about us little people. What's interesting here is that it is yet another example whenever you come across a smug Mac user who thinks they're impenetrable. No, the bad guys know we exist and there is malware for Macs and no, you shouldn't be complacent. Ever-present vigilance definitely does apply. But don't panic. 
Okay. And if you live in the US, you may want to check out, um, there's some stuff going on in the Senate at the moment, renewals of the Patriot Act that you may or may not have a strong opinion on, but basically a vote was narrowly lost that would have removed the FBI's ability to view browsing histories without warrants. They would have still been able to view it, but with a warrant. And unfortunately, the vote went the other way. So there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment with the renewal of the Patriot Act. So you may want to pay attention to that. Top tips. Um, three really cool tips crossed my radar in the last two weeks. Uh, I didn't know this, but in recent versions of Windows 10, there's a really cool quick assistant app built into Windows. And it's absolutely perfect to give remote support to family members assuming they're running recent versions of Windows 10. And it's it's really easy to use. The person who needs help, so basically they start the app on their computer and they say, I'm looking for help. And then the app on their computer will give them a six digit code. And they give that code to the person who's trying to help them. And then Microsoft will connect the two computers together. And the person offering the help will get to see and control the other person's screen, but the other person gets to see everything you're doing. So it's like mm. go to my PC or something, only built straight into Windows and free and seems to be very well implemented by Microsoft. So that that's really cool very that cool. that's just a Windows 10 feature. Yeah. Timely advice from Intego. 10 things you shouldn't do on your work computer or phone from home. So if you're working from home with a work device, you should probably follow this advice. <laughs> and then finally, is one from iFixit that I want you to bookmark and then pray you never need. I spilled liquid on my laptop. Now what? Uh. I'll give you a spoiler. Do not, under any circumstances, add any rice to this equation. Really? Really. What you will do is no good and much harm. A laptop, I'm afraid, is not... It doesn't like rice. Because of all the dust? Yeah, wet rice starch is not helping things. It hasn't really removed the liquid because you now have wet rice starch instead of wet water. And it has added a whole bunch of rice starch everywhere. Oh, okay. So, while I'm sure it's a good way of sucking moisture out of tea towels or something it is not the right answer for wine in your laptop or a cup of tea in your laptop or whatever sorry i prefer to pour gin in my laptops based on past performance or gin indeed with or without tonic uh with tonic sadly so more liquid gin i'd have been fine well plus tonic is sugar Oh, Jesus, yeah. Also, and less alcoholic, right? Because the more alcohol there is, some of that moisture evaporates of its own accord. Yeah. Not so much the sugary type. I don't recommend it. Yeah. Technically, Kyle did it. Ah, well, that's it. But everybody tells me I shouldn't have allowed a six-year-old to be drinking gin, so. Yeah, okay, so you don't really get to win, is what you're saying. (laughs) No. Uh, interesting insights. There was a uh, there's an interesting article over on S- Naked Security, uh, sort of about the it's about a report on the actual effects of ransomware attack in the real world. It, they surveyed a whole bunch of large companies to actually measure the effects of ransomware, and two things caught my eye in the article. So the first is how the ransomware is getting in. So research found that while malicious file download or link is still the biggest danger, 29% of successful attacks, so almost a third of successful ransomware comes in through a malicious file download or link. 
Other methods such as remote attack of servers, 21%, unsecured remote desktop protocol is 1 in 10, external suppliers is 1 in 10, and infected USB drives is at 7%. And then the other one that really caught my eye, because they'd done the math, research found that paying ransom costs more than reinstating data from backups. So I know that coming in from your backup is weeks of downtime sometimes. The actual fiscal cost in the real world to real organizations surveyed by these researchers found that actually it's cheaper to do the hard work and do a restore, even if it takes you a few days, than it is to pay the ransom. Wow. That's interesting. It is very That's interesting. So they've got real, real data on it, huh? Yeah, a lot of real data. Actually, it's, it's a good report. Uh, and then also some interesting insights, much more lighthearted. Um, key moments in the history of Mac malware, 1982 to present, from Kirk McElhern over at Intego. That's kind of fun. Uh, potentially more practical then, top 10 most exploited vulnerabilities list released by the FBI, uh, DHS, and CISA. Basically, I can summarize this entire report with three words, patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Oh, four words. Um, <laughs> most of the exploits that are succeeding in attacking companies in the real world are things that have been patched months or years ago. Citrix is top of the list. They had a nasty bug that's patched months ago. Apparently, there are lots of unpatched Citrix servers, and they are the most common way that bad guys are getting into companies. Patchy, patchy, hmm. patch, patch. And finally, Naked Security have a really interesting explanation of how fishers, whatever you call people who fish with the pH, <laughs> they are succeeding in getting links which redirect you to, to malicious sites, but the actual link is a Google link. And that makes it much more believable because people trust Google, or some people trust Google. So there's two takeaways here. One, just because a link is from Google doesn't mean you should trust it. And two, if you're curious how, the article explains how, and it's not likely to get fixed because Google don't really see it as a problem. So beware. Finally then, before we get to our palate cleansing, just because it's cool, right? (laughs) Not even a need for a vague hint of a fire extinguisher here. This is absolutely not dangerous, but it is cool. It's only dangerous if you're running like, you know, if you're Iran's nuclear power industry or something. Air-gapped security beaten by turning capacitors into speakers. By tweaking the voltage slightly through firmware APIs that actually exist in Windows, they can tweak the unaudible hum of capacitors so they can modulate signals onto them. Huh, that's interesting. And cool. So there you go. Just- yeah, there's there's a lot of cases other than uh, a nuclear place that care about air-gapped computers. Yeah, Just that's saying. sort of my code word for contractors of many sorts. Yeah, yeah. That is still cool. It is very cool. I love it. So palate cleansing. Um, I wanted to draw attention to a recent XKCD because... Something that we are learning through this pandemic is that there is a thing called a preprint. This is a journal paper that has been written, but not peer-reviewed. So it's not really a journal paper yet. It's a potential 
journal paper. And they're really important for science because normally science is a back and forth. And in the case of we want research into this pandemic not to be delayed by peer review. So the idea is that you put a preprint out so that researchers can already start to verify your claims independently before it's appeared in a journal. But from a media point of view, these things are a disaster because they look like a scientific journal paper because they're formatted like one and they are one awaiting review. They have not been reviewed. So you need to report on them extremely carefully. That's really hard to do because if you say, according to a preprint, no one listening hears a thing. So XKCD suggested a really good answer. Universal find and replace for the phrase preprint with a PDF. <laughs> according to a new PDF. And then all of a sudden you're putting everything into the right thing. So it's just, yeah. Anyway. I like the, uh, in, in light of what we were just saying about uh, Adobe Reader being required, if you hover over the cartoon in XKCD, it says, Downsides, Adobe people may periodically email your newsroom to ask you to call it an Adobe PDF document. Yeah. And there's more to it than that. But Okay. I also like, still implies this document was probably prepared by a professional because no normal human trying to communicate in 2020 would choose this ridiculous format. <laughs> So a little sciencey, but don't count on it. Yeah. So anyway, there we go. Um, and then I have a more useful uh, recommendation. Two of well, actually, I, I kept it to one. I was going to do two, but I kept it to one. Um, one of the effects of the pandemic is that the class of twenty twenty have got them horribly shortchanged. Like commencement is such a big deal in the American education system, and a really big part of that is that students get to arrange their commencement speaker. And assuming they're, they managed to wheedle an appropriate celebrity, they could be really cool. Uh, the people at iHeartRadio decided to ask the class of 2020, imagine hypothetically this was normal, and you could have any commencement speaker you wanted, who would you like? They collected the most popular choices, and then, being a large media organization like iHeartRadio, they asked all of these celebrities, to create commencement speeches for the class of 2020, and they've published them all as a podcast. And hmm. because they're such a big organization, they have people like Tim Cook, Bill and Melinda Gates, Hillary Clinton, and they're all, I, they're fine. But actually, they also have a whole bunch of podcasters and things. And actually, the one that got me, that was my favorite of all of them, is actually the one by the storyteller and podcaster Aaron Menke, um, who's behind Lore, uh, which is a, a big thing, apparently. Uh, but there's, you know, uh, Tom Brokaw, there's a, there's a bunch of really good ones, actually. So they're all short. They're only about, you know, five or ten minutes. So I've just been peppering them in between everything else in my playlists for my podcast listening while I'm out getting exercise. So it's normal podcast. Seven-minute commencement speech. Normal podcast, seven-minute commencement speech. And a lot of them are genuinely, they're well done. Like So, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And if you want to just skip and go to the, what I think is the best of them all, the Aaron Menke one linked in the show notes is, is the cream of the crop, I think. Very cool. 
I've been seeing a lot of those out there. So uh, I, I was actually looking for the Tim Cook one, and I didn't know where it ended up. I heard it was going to be out there, but uh, that would definitely be a, a must to listen. It. So I've actually got a palate cleanser. I'll just double. I'll just basically double check. I have listened to the Tim Cook one. It is worth listening to, and, th- and you'll find it there. Good. Sorry. Good. Uh, okay. So my palate cleanser. Um, now I'm going to forget where. Oh, I heard about this on the Accidental Tech podcast. There's a woman named Emily Shea who has uh, repetitive strain injuries. She basically tried absolutely everything. Uh, She didn't do surgery, but she had all kinds of repetitive strain injuries. So she decided to figure out how to do her job completely by voice. Now, what makes it extraordinary that she has achieved this is that she is a Perl programmer. And I don't know Perl, but from what I understand, it's got all kinds of crazy little symbols in it. It's been described as looking like C code over a broken modem. (laughs) <laughs> it's just symbols like yeah it. lots of symbols so she demonstrates this video that we've got embedded in the show notes is fantastic because she starts by showing what you would expect it would be like trying to dictate pearl code mm. and i don't she's it's actually somebody else's video embedded in there and it's hysterical because it's as bad as you would possibly expect but then she about 17 18 minutes in if you want to jump right to actually seeing this in action she has a video of her doing uh doing pearl programming and it is phenomenal it involves all kinds of crazy things she's done to like create a language of her own to represent letters because you have to be able to spell but right. if you say m versus n or t versus c it doesn't always hear it correctly yeah. so she's got a different phonetic alphabet and she talks about why you don't use the NATO alphabet, you know, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, instead, because that's too many syllables. Right. Uh, but she's got her own, own little language. Like when she wants new line, she says uh, two new lines would be slap, slap. Oh. And uh, it, the letter M is mad. So she's got a variable mad in the middle of this. And it's, it's wonderful to watch. She does say she's using dragging, Dragon from Nuance, which has been discontinued. And luckily she points that out. But um, there's a recognition engine built in, uh, into the tool Talon, which is what she allow, it allowed her to create this special language. Wow. And so there is a, a speech recognition engine you can use with Talon, and it's all uh, open source. That, the very concept of even trying to solve this problem makes my head explode. The fact that she succeeded has me in awe. Yeah, you you have to see it to to really. I mean, it is it is bananas. I would like to spend a year learning to do it. Allison, you have a podcast, and you've given yourself a really broad remit. Why not pop her a message and see if she'll come on? Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, we'll see. Worst she could say it's, is no. I, I, no, well, she could be yeah, naughty. But I mean, she could be mean to you. But other than that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not sure I would have anything more to ask her than what she's shown here. But anyway, it's, I'd love uh, to hear her, you was, and her talking about it, especially with your focus <laughs> on accessibility. I think you, you guys can have a fun conversation. But anyway, it's up to you to run your own podcast. I would just love to listen. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, we were going to go real short on this yeah. because the earlier part of the show is gone, uh, was long, but uh, nobody's ever complained about security bits being too long. Not once. Well, not maybe they're not listening anymore. Uh, but for anyone who is still listening, a I just want to thank Allison again for fif- you know fifteen years of, of an amazing show, and I am hoping that fifteen years from now I'll still be telling everyone because it'll still be the right thing to do to stay patched so you stay secure. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that show. I certainly had fun, and the live show uh, audience certainly had a lot of good times here. 
But that's going to have to wind us up for the celebratory week. Don't forget to send your done in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions, your uh, audio recordings, your tips if you have them, by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. Want to become a Patreon? Go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. Want to give a one-time donation through PayPal? Podfeet.com slash PayPal. PayPal. That was good. Anyway, if you want to join our community, you can go to podfeet.com slash Facebook or podfeet.com slash Slack. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocella Castaways you've been hearing so much about. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.